0: that water glass was amazing for people who can't see this is a guinness water glass Is water in it there's no guinness i wish there was guinness but it's amazing glass i thought whoa what a start (laughs) (laughs) how are you doing today Pratiti?
1: fantastic fantastic so good to see you see you
0: good to see you too you look very nice
1: thank you and
0: uh yeah i feel like we've talked uh, several times on some level already.
1: Yes, we have.
0: Oh yeah. uh, man, I got to learn. I want to learn about your life. I mean, there's a lot going on from when we chatted kind of off air about it. So even you know, start me out. Where did it all begin?
1: How far back do we really want to go? <laughs> Just
0: take the time machine all the way back, like way back.
1: All right, so way back. Let's just start right from the beginning, Ben. Um, I actually was born in India, and I came here when I was two in the early 70s. So it was really at a time that is so different from today in a way that I was probably... not probably, I actually was uh, the only other nationality as I felt anyway, it was like um, blacks and whites and me. I don't remember any other Asians. I don't remember any other um, cultures, Uh, really all the way up until high school. So I think I spent a lot of time Um, really trying to fit into two different cultures because what was going on inside my house was very different than what was going on outside my house, right? I went through a lot of um, what we call today bullying. I got picked on a lot. My name is Pratiti. Definitely wasn't something that anybody was used to saying. And I can even remember going into the junior high school And uh, in the seventh grade, I actually used to get picked on a lot by one of my teachers who eventually, um, he was a male teacher. He was my homeroom teacher and used to kind of make fun of me and say things about me being Indian in a way that was embarrassing and just super uncomfortable. So one of the days he had actually made a remark about me teaching the other children my Indian language, which um, I wasn't, they were just making goofy noises as seventh graders do. And uh, one of the other students in the class kind of stuck up for me and he thought it was me, literally picked me up out of my chair by my arm and Uh, pushed me into a room in the office and I fell and hit my head on the concrete wall, hurt myself. Like he physically assaulted me. And then uh, it got to a point where I was crying and I was yelling at him. And then, um, you know, I pushed him because he was like coming towards me. And then He ended up pushing me back right into a door. So I so, you know, I went through a lot of that kind of stuff growing up. And then um, as I got into the high school, I had already started smoking cigarettes. So me always trying to desperately fit in with my peers uh, led me to making some poor choices with picking up a smoking habit and then that ultimately did not go over well with my parents and my family. Then I kind of felt like I wasn't fitting in with my own culture either. So, I where was this, just-
0: by the way? Like, where did you grow up? Where was
1: Northeast this? Philadelphia?
0: Wow, in Philadelphia, this happened.
1: Well, see, everybody thinks that now because Seriously. they're like, wow, it was so diverse. <laughs> it wasn't, though, it, it wasn't. was just really no,
0: whoa,
1: yeah. And well, so Philadelphia was up until the seventh grade, and then I had moved to the suburbs, and of course, the picking on and that kind of thing wasn't the same anymore.
0: Yeah,
1: um, I was just in the outskirts of Philadelphia, and I and I had been that area for thirty five years, but. Fast forwarding um, all the years of trying to fit in, ultimately really not fitting at all kind of always felt like I was going against the grain, but I had very much my own ideas about how I wanted to be in the world. And what happened instead is I became very good at people pleasing. I became very good at being a bigger bully to myself and telling myself a lot of self-loathing, you know, a lot of, a lot of things that just sounded like I wasn't good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. And, um, it just, it just led to some poor choices in boyfriend. I finally at the age of 18 started dating um, a boy and my parents of course did not like him. So sent me to India to get married. I did not get married. My parents were not happy about that either. Oh and gosh. I got malaria instead, which was a different M word. And that was just as fun. I'm sure. <laughs> <That's terrible.
0: laughs>
1: so then it just, it just, um, you know, I came back. I stayed with the boyfriend I was with, who ultimately um, i I had gotten pregnant. We were supposed to get married, and he was struggling a bit with alcohol and ended up leaving when I was three months pregnant. So I found myself really um, going against everything that my parents had you know, been trying to teach me. And my parents were pretty upset about the whole thing, and I struggled with the idea of becoming a single mother. My parents were not happy about it. And ultimately that was probably the first really pivotal point of my life is making the decision to become a single parent. And then of course, when I had my son, everybody jumped on board and I had tons of support from my parents and extended family. I was very hardworking. So I was working two jobs, going to school at night. Um, I had gone to school originally for criminal justice and psychology. And that, uh, you know, that I didn't end up staying there. I was there for about three and a half years and then changed uh, into medical assistant. That didn't end up happening just because of, at the time, Hospitals had started laying off a lot of uh, full time employment, and we ended up just having part time positions. So I just ended up staying in the uh, same type of jobs that I was in. And then um, I ended up getting married finally, and uh, my husband suffered from anxieties. I was in the aerospace industry by this point. He was struggling with anxieties, and my company had filed chapter 11 after 9 11, about a year or so after. And so I said, Whatever you want to do, I'll help you do. And we started a construction company. So that's probably midway point right there. Midway point.
0: <laughs> what is this midway point stuff? Let's back up a little bit. The Guinness glasses out again. That's what I'm telling you. I love it. So. Talk a little bit about. I think the listeners. This is a good deep dive. I think about growing yeah. up. I would imagine your parents are they traditionally Indian? Like, like, one hundred percent. Where are they from in India? By the way,
1: they're they're from Ahmedabad, which is in Gujarat state.
0: Uh huh. I'm, I'm somewhat familiar. I'm somewhat familiar.
1: Northwest of Delhi.
0: Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. I have several clients from India and their parents <laughs> from India, but. I'm very familiar from there relaying to me kind of the pressures of an Indian household and the expectations. I would love for you to speak about that a little bit.
1: Yes. So my parents are very um, traditional Indian parents. They, um, you know, education is number one. So let me just back up. In the Indian culture, you know, we, they, I won't even say we, because I am not somebody who grew up in that atmosphere. So my parents are both highly educated and um, my father's a retired architect now. He has a master's from architecture in India, uh, urban design from uh, University of Pennsylvania, my mother's uh, economics and Indian literature. And, you know, when you're growing up in uh, India, you are primarily as a child, your number one <laughs> job is you are a student. That is it. You're a student and you're a family member. So you go to school, you pay attention, you learn, you come home, you participate with the family. And, um, you know, there's just different phases of their life where they just are a student, they go to college, they pick a career, they get a job. Then they decide they're going to get married. They have a family and that's it. You know what I mean? It's just step, step, step here. There's a lot of boyfriend and girlfriend and dating and sex and teenage pregnancy and, you know, drugs and alcohol and, and things that are introduced in earlier ages here than would ever be introduced there. So I growing up with parents that really didn't know what to expect on you know what to deal with as a parent raising a child here created a lot of fear for them and a lot of need to control and in that process um my parents were very strict didn't for one second understand how it was even possible that I could be smoking cigarettes to fit in with kids. You know, I'm pretty sure my parents at that point just wanted to kill me. Yeah. And they, you know, the, the, the thought of your children are a direct reflection of you as a parent. I would have to say that's pretty universal, but to what, serious level of that thought is very different. Right here, we're like, you better act right because I don't want people saying that I'm not teaching you good things. Yeah, There, it's like, you better act right, otherwise you're gonna destroy our family name. <laughs> you know
0: what I mean? Like, yes. it's
1: very different. It's very extreme, um, not for every family. And, and certainly I don't think my parents thought I was gonna ruin their name though at the same time, I think their fear was more of a protective base. We have a daughter, she's smoking, this could lead to bad company, and that could lead to bad boys, that could lead to worse things than cigarettes, you know, uh, things that are very normal to be afraid of, and to be cautious of, though I think because they were not used to And I can't even say they weren't used to, but they have probably zero familiarity with having a conversation like that as a parent with a child about these subjects. Number one, they went to all of my school things. So they got to be a part of, um, you know, drug awareness night and, you know, all of the different types of things that parents and teachers get together for. But it's uncomfortable for us to talk to our kids about certain things to begin with, especially when it comes to sex or drugs or alcohol. And then when you're somebody who is an adult who probably never had that in their lives as a child. So they never had the talk from their parents to them. So it's a very new concept, right? And the fear is even greater when you are like, oh, I'm going to mess this up. Or how do I even have this conversation? Or I have zero clue of what I'm doing. I just need to like, beat you and make you listen. <laughs> you <know laughs> what I mean? Because right, That's right. about like, what else do we do? You know, yeah. we don't know. So that was kind of going on. So when I think about growing up, um, I would say majority of my childhood, I was I don't wanna say bullied by either kids or my parents. My parents weren't bullying me, but my parents were trying to figure things out. I was trying to figure things out as a kid. So it was definitely um, a trying time. Let's just
0: say. And you, so you were sent to India for essentially an arranged marriage, it sounds like. Is that what this was for?
1: It is, but when you say arrange marriage, it almost implies that, hey, I'm coming out to meet one person and they're going to arrange the Mm -hmm. marriage. So what they are doing is they're introducing you to some choices.
0: Okay. This sounds like a lot like that show, Indian Matchmaking on Netflix. Very much like that.
1: Yeah, so, you know, it's it's almost like, I don't want to say match.com because yeah. you're matching yourself. But if you think about it, it's very similar to if I were to say, hey, I have a friend, Um, I have a male friend and I have a a female friend and I think that they would be a good match for each other. I would introduce them. I would say, hey, John, here's Mary and Mary comes from a good household. John's got a good education. We know both families, they come from good families. You guys would be a, a fit. So that's kind of what they're doing is different families and friends that know my parents might suggest certain matches so then they took me out there to introduce me to these different matches and I was like no 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 and oh no buddy, no no
0: <laughs> lots <laughs> of no's for GD.
1: <laughs> I know and my dad was like why do you keep saying no everybody keeps saying yes and I'm thinking like no, are you kidding? I can't even fit it in, fit in anywhere. And you want me to be with somebody from a completely different background than me. That's a very scary idea for me. So I was just like, absolutely not. And I also thought I'm way too much of a person for an Indian man to even be able to deal with. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I have very strong ideas about the world and 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 then you know I also had my own um, concept of what an Indian woman should be like and act mm-hmm. like, and clearly I was already not being that woman.
0: You were not. Basically, were you saying that essentially that Indian men were looking for a more submissive type of woman or more that's traditional? That's a
1: great word to use, right? That's a- I would say traditional, you know, I wouldn't say submissive because I know, you know, even within my own family, there's a lot of strong women. Yeah. Though there are, you know, it it wasn't that I didn't know how to be uh, a strong woman and a submissive woman or, you know, in, in air quotes or a woman that would compromise. I'm very loving, very compassionate. Though I already felt like I was doing things wrong, if you know what mm. I mean, don't even want to use the yeah. word wrong. But clearly, I was making some serious mistakes. You didn't right, fit that the mold were what
0: they were looking for. They might have said yes, but you were like, "Listen, I, I don't think I'm. I'm. This isn't going to work out because I'm yeah, too no, different." T- from- for sure,
1: not. And I had zero experience dating here, so I just had zero experience altogether. You know, and I, yeah. I already like with my minimum exposure to the world, I would say, because my friends in school were just my friends in school. I wasn't a girl that hung out at the mall with my girlfriends. I, you know, my, again, my parents were strict. They didn't have me like out hanging out with people. So, even with that minimum exposure to the outside world, I was screwing things up just by me smoking cigarettes and not doing well in school. So it was like, yeah, this is not going to work for sure. I'm sure an Indian man's going to want somebody who's not smoking and knows what they're doing out there in the world. And I'm not that person. So I not only did not think that they were a good fit for me, but I Definitely did not think I was a good fit for them, and that was probably the stronger of the two opinions. Mm,
0: I see. Oh, so, for sure. Well, I that was. I find this fascinating. That the whole, you know, introduction, the person. I mean, you. I mean, uh, you're like ethnically Indian.
1: Yeah, but you 100
0: right. But like, so you when you go there, you're immersed in a world that you may look like people who are from them, but you're nothing like that.
1: No, and I stood out like a sore thumb when I was there. They were like, "What do you mean?" uh, My hair was cut like the '80s. Okay, (laughs) I'm going to (laughs) India in the '80s. All right, so let me just tell you, it was like an Indian Farrah Fawcett walking around for them. You know?
0: Wow, that's. I mean, I had
1: all the layers in my hair, uh, bangs, and a cigarette. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Here she comes. (laughs) comes It was like the Indian Pinky Tuscadero walking around, you know.
0: Was it shocking, like being there, just the different culture and the customs? Or were you just used to growing up like your parents had kept a lot of that with you? Or,
1: oh, gosh, yeah, I was used to standing out. That's number one. So, Mm -hmm. standing out for me wasn't like, oh, this is so weird. It was in some ways, just because now I was standing out amongst all Indians versus standing out amongst all Americans. And I just felt like, well, you know, inherently I am Indian and I stand out amongst Indians. Also, I have been in the United States with Americans my entire life and still stand out with Americans. So it's just like. Hmm. I felt you know that that is a o- obvious reason today when I look back on where all of the self-loathing and I'm mm. not good enough and I don't fit in and I don't belong um, came into play and it's it's obvious on how easily I became a people pleaser and just you know desperately wanted to make those connections and create relationships that were meaningful and didn't really, really know how to and so therefore I just kept so much of this to myself and really it was only after I started openly sharing the things that I was going through or had gone through where so many times, you know, everything that we think about is limiting us from achieving what we want to achieve in our lives is because of a limiting belief. And I say that with air quotes because as a solo entrepreneur for the past 25, 30 years, that's something that stands out the most is when we're doing a lot of coaching and training and mentoring. We're like, you got to get rid of your m- limiting beliefs. You have to, um, you know, you have to break through your, uh, your uh, achievement ceiling and all of these kinds of things, but most people do not know what their limiting beliefs are because limiting beliefs is something that's going on for you on a very unconscious level. It's not something that you're aware of because if you were aware of it, you may be able to handle it and it wouldn't be limiting you the same way. It's these underlining belief systems that you create through your childhood experiences that you make them mean something, right? It's all about the story that we are choosing to tell ourselves about our life experiences. And so many times, we're in the, uh, you know, we're in this constant struggle of blame and shame. And usually, we're either blaming and shaming somebody else, or we're blaming and shaming ourselves. And even when we go through different experiences, where maybe we got bullied, maybe we got abused in some way uh, by someone we so many times become the victim and they're our villain. And at the same time, we are are also the villain because we're like, what did we do wrong? How could we avoid it this? How come it was me? You know, we end up blaming ourselves for how something bad happened to us. If that makes sense. Yeah, it
0: makes sense. I mean, you you went deep into it. You started going in.
1: (laughs) I'm a life life coach. I'm a realtor and a business and life coach. So I will always go deep. (laughs) You went life
0: coach level for a second there. Yeah. Which was great. Now now we're at midpoint. We're at the midpoint. All right. Let's let's go start at the midpoint and let's jettison off. Where are we going from here?
1: Okay. So Started a construction business with my husband at the time. I didn't know construction, but I knew business. So I learned how to do roofing, siding, brickwork, block work. Today, I can finish concrete myself if the pad's not too big. I certainly don't allow other men to do spackle work for me. I make sure I take care of all of that. (laughs) I don't let certain things go on with somebody else. But um, in 2007, we divorced and the market, I had already started hitting us as contractors. Lucky for me, I uh, was already in that space. So I knew a lot of um, builders and people that were contractors. So I had let my husband go with the construction business. I started my own painting business as a residential and commercial painter. And uh, I had some builders that used me exclusively, got to do some really, really cool jobs, worked at Alan Iverson's house, Aaron McKee's house and his sister's house. So I think I've already also painted at the Philly Fanatics house and never knew that there was more than one before that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it was a great time. And then of course the market was hitting us even more. So they started taking on their own jobs and, uh, ended up where I, I was really struggling with the work. And then in 2009, I lost my son, who is my only child. He was 17 at the time. My son's name is Bevan. And, uh, he had climbed a high voltage structure and touched a wire by accident and fell 40 feet. So Mm. my son's probably one of the most amazing people I've ever met. Very well-rounded guy. He was like a very, um, outgoing athletic adventurous was in all of the you know football hockey soccer basketball kind of thing skateboard snowboard anything with a board and at the same time you know total dork and a geek and a nerd and complete indian boy who knew his time tables up to 30 and could like yeah. whoop anybody in chess um but uh, i i mean i'm honored to have been his mother he was really really like just really a cool guy to hang out with probably somebody i enjoyed being around more than anybody else so yeah
0: you know what's amazing that really wasn't that long ago that that happened yeah. and you seem to have such a perspective about it like some people have on and they chat about stuff like that it's it's still really like it's hard to talk about
1: it's extremely hard to talk yeah. about
0: but you you seem so poised about it when you talk ex- about it
1: for okay so Of course, it hasn't always been like that. I'm coming up on 12 years, which so many times somebody might think, oh, okay, 12 years, that's, you know, pretty significant amount of time. But for me, to be quite honest, it can feel like 12 years. It can feel like 12 minutes. You know, there's times where it feels like, holy crap, like I'm I'm in it in that moment, you know? I would have to say it in this way. It's not as intense as often as time goes by. That's the best way I could describe it. I know there's a lot of bereaved parents who would say that it feels softer or it gets softer. Um, The way that I can describe that feeling of softer is it's not as intense as often, where before I might've been on the floor every day. And now I may have a moment of feeling choked up, but I can manage myself pretty quickly. Today, I choose when I want to feel connected and emotional and I want to do things or listen to things or watch things that will absolutely make me cry and feel super emotionally connected and loving towards him, which I do anyway. You know, people will say things like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to bring it up as if it ever goes away. You didn't bring it up. It's on my mind all the time. (laughs) That's right. You, you, You didn't bring it up. So, yeah, but you know, probably for the first two and a half years, I just wanted to jump off a bridge every single day. For over a year and a half, I couldn't even prepare a single meal for just me. I was grateful that I was, you know, staying with my parents at the time, which was a very temporary thing. My son and I were in the middle of selling the house and we're like, hey, let's shack up with my parents for right now. We decided to rent our house out to a family that needed it. And... Just so happened. And so I really want to share one, one message um, that is probably one of the most um, powerful messages that I've given to myself and one that I find um, extremely um, important in our lives. And I want people to know that no matter what horrible things happen in life, because we are here to experience life as human beings, there are always things to be grateful for. And there are always things to be grateful for um, no matter what. And the fact is we are here going through life as human beings and it's, there's nowhere ever that was told to us that being a human being, it's just going to be happy all the time. We spend an awful lot of time, the moment that somebody sees somebody else crying or our kids are hurt or anybody's upset about anything that we're like, oh, let's hurry up and try to fix it so that they can feel happy again or so that we can feel happy again. And that's not the point. That's not the point of life is to be happy. As a matter of fact, when our kids are sad or they get hurt or something negative happens, like please, for gosh sakes, let's use this as an opportunity to help them learn how to deal with some shit because that's what's gonna happen in life shit is going to happen. And by the way, that's the things that we learn and grow and evolve from. It's from the shit. That's why we put manure in the garden. We don't grow from the rainbows and daisies. We grow from (laughs) the obstacles that come our way, right? At the end of our lives, at least for me, I want to know that I was able to embrace all of the experiences that life had to offer me. um, And was able to process them in a way that was healthy and um, beneficial to me. And maybe I was able to share it with somebody else to help them because that's, I, I really believe that's what it's all about. You know, it's yeah. not about having great moments all the time. It's about being able to really deal with the hard ones,
0: you know, it, and I think that's an important message. And cause sometimes I think in our, especially American culture with technology and everything's about projecting. Happiness all the time, posting oh, about happiness, how great my life is. But you know, there's a lot of pain in there, or that projection is a not is not a real projection. They're just not willing to sit with the pain that's going on in their life. For that, that's
1: exactly right. It's not willing to sit with the emotion. So many times we think, you know, that. It, it, the most important thing is to hurry up and get out of a negative emotion. And most of us, if I were to ask you like, well, how long do you think a negative emotion even lasts? Most people won't yeah. even know, right? right. It's like minutes, it's like 10 minutes. Like <laughs> 10 minutes. It really is. Like, how about 10 minutes feel, to
0: get over this?
1: <laughs> I don't mean to get over it, but for that right. feeling, like what's a feeling? What's an emotion outside right. of a vibration in our body? If I, if I think about the... The feeling of nervousness, right? Oh, I'm nervous. I'm going to be on this podcast interview with Darian and I, you know, I don't, I hope I don't mess it up. Um, or I could think, oh, I'm so excited to be on this podcast episode with Darian and have this great conversation with him. Both of those feelings might actually create the same physical emotion inside my body, right? Maybe my palms will be sweaty. Maybe my heart will be racing. Maybe my stomach will feel kind of like little air bubbles flying around, but one's creating this intensity of like excitement and one's making me feel kind of jittery and nervous, right? One's making me want to feel like I'm going to get sick, you know? So, you know, it's okay to feel nervous. It's okay to be scared. It's okay to be unsure. It's okay to be, you know, feeling like you might fail. The, the most empowering thing you can do for yourself is do it anyway, like be scared and do it anyway. I think that's the name of a book, um, yeah. you know, Have Fear and Do It Anyway or something like that, or, you know, be uncomfortable. Growth is uncomfortable. You're doing something new. That you've never done before, it's going to be uncomfortable. But that's when you can actually continue on doing something that you are absolutely afraid that you might get laughed off stage. You might, you know, fail. What does that mean anyway? Failure is nothing more than not getting the outcome that you expected, <laughs> not getting the expected outcome. <laughs> that's not that bad that's not that bad.
0: Yeah, yeah, of course. You know what's interesting? Like you go in and out of telling these stories and then right into being a life coach. (laughs) I like like that. (laughs) It's wonderful. It's like you could tell like you're good at weaving in your own story with creating a lesson from your story seamlessly.
1: It's because those lessons I gave to me first, those lessons were just a ton of work on me, which is the only way that I can help. Somebody else that might be struggling. You know, if I think about um, some of the folks that I I work with and they're young professionals, and, you know, they might be struggling with being here from another culture, even if they were born here. Um, And it's today where there's so many more. different cultures to be able to talk to. And that doesn't mean that it makes it easier because again, we all have our own situation. We all still go home to our own family and our own family structure and what that looks like. But there's, you know, that type of pressure. um, I just want to say, it reminds me of a conversation that I had with my son when he was about 16 right about a year or so before his accident and I remember him talking to me about you know things that he was going through as a 16 year old and you know he was like oh you don't have to worry about peer pressure I don't put peer pressure I said I think you're misunderstanding what peer pressure is and I think that this um might apply to so many people is we think that peer pressure is the pressure that our peers put on us, which is not the case. Um, Peer pressure is more about the pressure that you put on yourself when you're amongst your peers. And so the example that I remember giving to him at the time, I said, so think about me. I, you know, at the time I, I was in, um, had the construction company, but I was also in, uh, working. And I said, you know, if I was at an office party like say I was at my office Christmas yeah. party and my boss bought me a glass of wine and I've already had two and I know that's my limit. Do I hurt his feelings and and you know deny the glass of wine, um, or do I people please and accept his wine so that I don't hurt his feelings? That's peer pressure, right? It is putting the pressure on yourself because of what you think somebody else might think. That's the projection there.
0: Very well said. I mean, you're a teacher. You're a teacher. (laughs) I mean, you're out there dropping gems and knowledge left and right, Pratiti. I tell you what. And what's also amazing is you seem like a lot of fun at the same time. I am
1: so much fun.
0: (laughs) Right? I mean, sometimes people, you know, I'm just going to be honest. Sometimes when people say the things you say and it's very serious, you don't get the sense that there's any fun behind it. It's just oh, like, oh, that's you're that's just that's so that. serious about this concept yeah. or about coaching, and 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 that's fine. But like, I'm personally uh, more drawn towards people where I'm like, man, they just have a fun spirit, but I they also that. get it too. They understand yes. the l- lessons about life. I remember when I first time I talked to you off air, I was like, oh, this is a fun person. Oh. I can already tell that this is a fun person. <laughs> that's a great quality to have. I don't. Thank yeah. I don't notice it all the time in people. I notice kind of the nervousness, the kind of the easing in, the like, I'm not going to show you me for a little bit type. You know what I mean? Type yes. of thing. I felt yeah. like I got you immediately. I got Pratiti. Step one, this is me. Boom. Absolutely.
1: I would have to say yeah. that like one thing that I have always said for so many years is I have this ability to connect with people instantly because I share something deep and personal and intimate about myself. And that is the quickest way to connecting with another person, okay? When we think about, like if I would think about the, uh, I, I had just um, given, a, a presented at a, um, a Young Professionals Meeting, and I was talking about setting goals from being past focus or future focus. and I was really trying to explain how when we think about our past, it is our current thought about our past, and it is our current thought about our future. Really, neither one exists outside of our mind, right? It's just a thought in our head. Our memories are just thoughts about experiences. When we think about our future, they're just thoughts about what could be. And, you know, I know there's a lot of focus today on being present and staying present and, you know, being aware of the present moment. And, and there, there's a lot of um, truth to that because when you think about it, that's all we really have. Not saying don't think about your future and what you want to accomplish out there in the world, but really nothing else really matters right this moment while I'm sitting here talking to you. Correct. Correct. The only thing that matters is this moment because the truth of it is we don't know if we're going to have another moment. And that's why this one is the only, this is the most important thing that we could have. And so many times, um, even when you're, you're having a meeting with somebody and they seem to think that, oh, well, you know, this conversation's more about you. No, actually, it's about both of us because the point of ever having a conversation is that we're both enjoying it and we're both getting value out of it. And I want people to know that don't ever judge what you can or can't learn from the person you're talking to. It doesn't matter if that person's a homeless person or if that person's, you know, holding a high position, right? Because you have something to teach everybody and everybody has something to teach you. Um, one of my good friends, um, Pablo, he has a, a quote that he says all the time, which is like mind blowing. And he says, "You, everybody is a part of uh, your Google and you are a part of everybody's Wikipedia. And I was just like, that's amazing. I love that, that type of thinking because it's very true. I'm always going to walk away learning something from the conversation that I have with you or anybody, if I'm paying attention and looking for it and genuinely engaged and interested in talking with you.
0: Wow. I got to tell you, you got skills. (laughs)
1: You're oh, so kind. I, yeah. <laughs> right from the Guinness glass, all these I'm compliments. I'm telling you,
0: I'm all about compliments. I mean, but I'm also about countability Guinness class again. I mean, there really should be some Guinness in there at some point. I'm not saying I think right there now. There should be some I, point.
1: I'm mean, at some two point two in the afternoon here. Okay,
0: that's well, listen, depending on if it's like Friday, there's no big deal. I don't that's think true. it's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, that's when I drank, is usually around two, three p.m. On if a I Friday? Nothing, uh, yeah. Well, you know, yeah, pretty much if I have nothing right. else to do, I'd like happy to get
1: the hours next. <laughs> I want to get my
0: drinking out of the way early. I'm not a late. I don't want to do it late. It's I want to get a good night's sleep. You know? Ah,
1: it's so good. I uh, like that you say that.
0: I'm a mature drinker. Okay. I'm mature. All right. Are,
1: I have a client <laughs> who says that she's like two o'clock is my glass of wine time. <laughs> I mean, she has one glass of wine at two o'clock. Yeah, That's I'm just
0: but uh, I just think it's um, I like to tell people how I feel about them. That's uh, whether it's a compliment or whether it's, you know, maybe it's not as flattering. I'm just like, like sometimes if somebody if I tell somebody a compliment and they brush it off, I will tell them, why would you do that? <gasps> yeah, why would you brush that off? They're like, what are you talking about? I was like, I told you something nice. And you literally just like you just brushed me off. Oh, I didn't know. Didn't I didn't know how that. to handle it. Yeah. I'm like, listen, I understand. We need to talk about this. I like like if I was negative to you, you'd probably <sighs> right at me. Yeah. You know, you're, you're so used to responding to negative things and being very direct with that. When somebody does something nice for you. Eh, blow it off.
1: I think that so many times we don't think we deserve the nice things. Yeah. Right.
0: But I'm, I just keep hitting people with it. I'm like, oh, man, it's great. You know, I like the Guinness glasses. Hey, you look nice today. I don't know. Okay. You should just tell people nice things, you know. Like, all the time. Tell all them the nice time. things. Uh, if I it, have a
1: waitress that comes up and she's got these beautiful green eyes, I am laying them on. I'm saying, I I love on. her eyes. Yeah. Like when we're talking to each other, just be like, listen, can we just stop for a second and talk about yeah. how gorgeous you are? Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. It's it is very nice. nice. Yes. So, you
0: know, I just want you're seeing like a lot of fun and thank
1: you fun, You do yeah. too. I ever since we <laughs> first talked, I was like, let's get going. And I know we had yeah. to cancel one time in between. Yeah. It was like, Oh no, I can't wait to talk to you.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. I, I just want to have a good time. I want to learn something and I just, I want to engage. I want to have meaningful conversations with people, but also want to have a great time. You know, and if I thank observe you. something like the Guinness glass, I'm going to say something about it. <laughs>
1: Speaking of glasses, can I just share this with you right now? This is so amazing. I went to one of my clients' house today. They're like, hey, stop by. We wanted to chat with you for a minute. They got me a glass, a thermos mug with my name on what it. your name
0: on it, looks nice. Which
1: is amazing. That was the first amazing thing. So I'm just like, do you have any idea? And they're like, uh, yeah, his name is DeBronis. He's like, uh, yeah, we know. <laughs> we can't just go to a store and get my name on it. No, I'm man. like, I get it. And then I had, these were clients of mine. I had shared a story about, the disco ball and how much my son and i love dancing together and oh. we would get a disco ball and we would dance out in the living room and so they had a disco ball put on the other side of it and it says dance through life
0: wow that's beautiful that looks yes
1: really nice. i was wow. like that's amazing it made me all choked up and
0: want to cry. I
1: love crying, by the way. I am a big you know, crier. <laughs> I, I think that it is one of the most loving things that you can do for yourself is to just allow yourself to feel the emotion. If you yes. feel like crying, cry. There yeah. is nothing more courageous and brave than to allow yourself to be vulnerable.
0: Totally, it makes me think of this speech by Jimmy Valvano was a famous coach for North Carolina State and he had cancer and he passed away. And his famous speech, he said, you know, if you, if you laugh every day, you cry every day, you smile every day, all this, that's a pretty good day. That's like a pretty good day.
1: It's a wonderful day. Right, yeah. I mean,
0: cry, I, mean I, I get choked up by a lot of things, especially if I'm watching a movie. And my daughter, she's nine. She's like, there you go again, dad. You just always getting worked up about stuff. I'm like, it's so beautiful.
1: (laughs) I love it. By the way, I thought your conversation with your little girl on one of your episodes was absolutely beautiful.
0: Thank you. Yeah, that was it.
1: That was a good one.
0: Try to just have fun with her and you know, hopefully learn a lot of lessons in life. I mean, all I could do is teach her and see where life leads, you know. Absolutely. I, I don't own Absolutely. her, man. You know, she is, I'm, I'm guiding her in life and hopefully we'll see where that leads, you know. And I, she's
1: guiding you right back because, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, we grow so much through um, the birth of our children and through God. raising our children. I cannot tell you how, much, I have like just a tremendous amount of growth through the loss of my son. And that is one of the things that I I am very passionate about as well is just taking the time to understand that we talk a lot about post-traumatic stress and, uh, you know, abuse and things like that. But I want us to be more focused on post-traumatic growth and being mm. able to grow through those experiences yeah. because the people that give us the most trouble, the experiences are the that are the most difficult or challenging or hurtful um, are the are the things that we grow the most from. You know, these these are the moments and people that are our greatest teachers.
0: Most definitely. There you go again. Just, yeah. just right into it. I love it. It's just amazing. You know, listen, our time is up, but what a conversation! What a beautiful conversation! What yes. a beautiful person you are.
1: Thank, Thank you. you so much
0: for spending time with me, Pratiti.
1: I love the work that you're doing out there, Darian. I love, I love listening to your show. You. So keep it up because it's beautiful what you're doing, and it's been honor to. Uh, be out here. And it's a privilege to talk to you.
0: Thank you so much. We will be in touch.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's social network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review my dad's show on Apple podcast
0: in the rate and review section. Thanks, everyone.